Morning, everyone. Thank you, Glinda, for that um, reading. It's quite a long reading, wasn't it? No. Um, and I don't know if you uh, were reading, uh, uh, perhaps you were reading along with it or were listening, and you got a little bit worried. Um, this morning, I want to share with you something about the person of the Lord Jesus. Often in our um, services, we have messages, always based on the scriptures, thankfully. I wouldn't be at this church if that wasn't the case. Uh, but very often, the emphasis is perhaps is on uh, how we should live, how we ought to witness Christian character. And of course, um, in the preceding weeks, we've heard much about uh, caring for the world that God created. And all those things are great. They're important. They matter. Of course they do. So I don't want to um, suggest this morning that they don't. But you know, none of that means anything if we don't have an appreciation and an understanding of the person of the Lord. He's the reason... I don't know about you, but he's the reason I'm here this morning. Christianity, being a Christian, is about relationship. It's about our relationship with God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us. And if we are those who, as Paul has already said, Uh, said in uh, what he has said this morning. If we are those who have accepted that, then his Holy Spirit lives within us. And that's the life we live. So I want us to concentrate on the person of the Lord Jesus this morning. At the end of the service, we're going to uh, share communion. Part of the reason for that is because I felt that our meditation upon the person of the Lord would be a good way to lead into our time of communion. We're going to share this bread and wine that speaks of him, of his death and resurrection, as we've already uh, sung. So I want to use the words that have been read this morning, Jesus' own words about himself, to learn more of him. Now, you know I like to bring you an old hymn from time to time. Well, here's one. Some of you have heard it, haven't you? That hymn that says, more, more about Jesus. The chorus says, more, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. Now, come on, what's the score this morning? Hands up who knows that one. Very good, well done. From the beginning of the chapter, you will have noticed that this took place in the temple courts. In the, uh, it's recorded in John's Gospel and nowhere else, not recorded in the other Gospels, as is much of John's Gospel, if you uh, have a look. And um, it's also uh, after the time that Jesus had so wonderfully dealt with the adulterous woman and her accusers. In terms of the larger scheme of things, This took place in the final year of Jesus' three years of ministry. Sometimes people refer to that as the year 
of opposition. And so this is the time before his death and resurrection. John's Gospel really emphasizes the person of Jesus. As you read through it, that comes through. That's why we read all those I am's in John's uh, Gospel. And John explains this himself. In chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, he tells us that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole purpose of John's uh, gospel, and that's why it's such a lovely gospel, and it's why very often we sometimes say to people who are seeking to know about the Lord, truly seeking, we give them a little John's gospel. It's a very popular thing to do, is it, for people uh, to read through. So this morning, I'm not going to comment on these verses specifically, and you will be relieved about that, because verse 12 to 30. Two is, is quite a lot of uh, verses, and um, so I, I don't want to do that. What I want to do is share with you the thoughts they have prompted in me as I uh, reread them uh, this week. You might say it's uh, personal reflections. You might say it's personal ramblings, but there we are. This 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 is me. When we were um, a street Baptist a lot of years ago now, there was a dear old um, uh, chap there, uh, Cyril, and uh, we used to have a magazine every, I don't know, every two months or something, and people would submit bits of writing it. And he always uh, put in there um, Cyril's jottings or something, you know. So it's rather like that, you know. It, it doesn't um, necessarily hang together as a great dissertation, Uh, But it's genuinely uh, what I have, the thoughts I have had as I'm having read and reread these verses uh, together. And of course things that, you know, go through your mind as you uh, meditate on things. And so I want to look at three things this morning. Three points, if you like. I was telling... Uh, the others about somewhere we went the other week and we were sat there and um, when he got to point four I thought that the preacher wasn't really playing the game so when he got to seventh point I thought he's going for ten but thankfully he stopped at the seventh point but then he told us that that was just the um, introduction and now he was going to give us a word of an exaltation or something so so Um, it was quite a long sermon it was about waiting upon the Lord so I did remember something but uh, um, there we are but this morning I've just got three things to look at about the Lord himself I want us to look at his mission or his purpose in coming I want us to look at his method or his means and his motives so his mission Why did Jesus come into the world? What's that all about? In verse 12, we read that he's the light of the world. In John 10, 
We read, the thief comes only to steal, only to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He came to bring light and life to you and to me. Verses 15 and 16 make it clear that he didn't come to judge. And that, of course, is so clearly demonstrated in the story that goes before this. Go back and read it and see how wonderfully the Lord dealt with that incident where the men were prepared to uh, judge this uh, lady. Uh, But Jesus, uh, he dealt with it in such a wonderful way. And what does he say? If you read it at the end there, he says to her, when they've all gone, remember? He said to them, you know, if any of you is without sin, well, you throw the first stone. And one by one they left. From the oldest to the youngest. So there's only Jesus left. Who is without sin? He was without sin. And what does he say to her? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Is that wonderful? Do you know, that, that makes my hair stand up. Uh, that's because I've, I'm gifted with an imagination. I love reading books. I've told you before. I'm gifted with an imagination. And that takes me to those temple courts. And the Lord and this uh, poor woman. And uh, it just does that. So that's why he came. He came to save us. He came to redeem us. He came to bring us back to himself, to restore a relationship that had been lost. In his conversation with the Pharisees in particular, he speaks of his relationship with God the Father, their unbelief and its consequences, that they would die in their sins. But for those of us who have put our faith and trust in him, then it's different. We're not going to die in our sins. uh, Paul puts it like this when he writes to the Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. I still remember uh, one line from that verse from the AV. It stuck with me uh, all through my Christian life. That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Now, what does all this mean? Well, it means that no matter how good we are, no matter how moral we are, no matter how generous we are, how caring we are, or any of those things, like these Pharisees, in the absence of faith in In Christ, I use the word, that word, because 
It means Messiah, the one who was sent, the promised one. Without faith in him, then we are like these um, uh, Pharisees, that he said, we will die in our sins. We will die without having been reconciled to God. We will not be amongst his people. And those of us who, who, who could sing these lovely hymns this morning and for whom they have meaning, then how do you feel as you think about this? That God cares so much for you that he sent his son. Now, of course, you're racing ahead of me. Well done. Because you're saying to, to, to yourselves, yes, he did. And what happened? He came to die. Perhaps like me, your thoughts turn to John 10. And those words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So we come to my second point. His method. How did he do this? How did he restore that relationship? How did he bring us back to God? Remember in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist saw the Lord, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Jewish people of the time would have understood the significance of a lamb. Some would perhaps recall the words of Isaiah chapter 53, which speak of prophetically of the Lord being led like a lamb to the slaughter. In verse 28 of our reading, explaining about his relationship with the Father, he says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am key, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. I don't know about you, but that reminds me of John chapter 3, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, explaining to Nicodemus what, that he needed to have a new relationship, that he needed to be born again. And he says, he explains there that in just the same way as in Numbers 21, Moses lifted up that uh, snake. Well, there's another old hymn. Do you remember that one? Look and live. Thank you. Look and live. Yeah. Do you remember this? Do you remember the story in, in Numbers? The, the the Israelite people as ever had sinned, and uh, so God sent these um, snakes, and whoever was bitten, basically, it was fatal. So Moses uh, constructed, under God's instruction, a brass snake, put it on a pole, and those that looked upon at the snake would were cured, look and live. And so the Lord uses that, speaking to Nicodemus, he says, well, it's just like that. You have to put your faith and trust in me. You have to look to me. But he used the picture of the snake on the pole because he was speaking of the manner of his death, that he was to be lifted up on a cross, suspended between heaven and earth. 
And we writing here might say, well, yeah, that was the Roman way of dealing with uh, criminals. But there was more to it than that. So the Jewish people, it was a terrible thing. Paul uh, writes to the Galatians and says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And again, that's a reference to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy, to one of the books of the law. To the Jewish people, this was a terrible thing. So when the Lord said to them, when you see me lifted up, that, you know, that's what he was, he was speaking of, that he would be suspended between heaven and earth, that he would be made a curse for us. When Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the people, claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be God's son, his claims incensed them. But others believed. At the beginning of John's Gospel, we are told, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the person that was speaking to those people. This is who, through God's Word, that has been read to us this morning, speaks to us. God's Holy Son. But also, it's the person who allowed himself to be arrested, to be tried, to be mocked, to be whipped and put on a Roman cross for us. I don't apologise this morning. Sometimes we get uncomfortable. We squirm in our seats. We get a bit too specific about crucifixion. We think, perhaps in our minds, that it's just for Easter. It's okay, isn't it, on Good Friday to get uh, you know, quite doer and um, uh, meditate on the cross. That's a great thing to do. There's a sense in which those of us who know the Lord would do that every day, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we reflect each day on what he's done for us? Maybe some days it's a difficult day, some days it's a good day, but we still belong to him. We're still being redeemed, we're still being brought back out of a life that was going nowhere. Without hope in this world, as, as described elsewhere. So, this is the same person who was going to allow himself to be treated in that way. Do you remember when he was on the cross that they mocked him, saying that if he was who he said he was, he should come down from the cross? And Matthew records how when they came to arrest him, he told the disciples, to put away their swords. Because if he wanted to, he could have asked for 12 legions of angels. He didn't have to go to the cross. He went to the cross. I, I know I've told some of you this before, but I remember when I was a, a teenager, a young person, a Christian, I read something once and it was a revelation to me. It might be obvious to you, but at that time... It was a revelation to me. 
And it was at that that nobody compelled the Lord. Or they took him and they led him. They put a cross on his back and they scourged him. But he allowed all that to happen. And on the cross, when he died, nobody took his life. He gave his life. And I read that in a a magazine or something. And it, it really, it was a revelation to me. He went willingly for you and for me. Another old hymn. I'm sorry, I got a bit carried away. When I was thinking about this, I got a bit carried away. But there's another hymn called, He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels. Thank you. (laughs) The chorus says, He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called... 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. We'll find it one day and play it. It's, it's, it's a lovely song, actually. Um, it was sung at Jill's dad's funeral uh, because it was a favourite of his. So, our salvation, our forgiveness of sins, our reconciliation with God, was not achieved by a mighty demonstration of God's power. But it was achieved in a way that would seem to be weak. The Lord is described, isn't he, as meek and lowly. Yes, he humbled himself. But he did it. He made himself a nothing and a nobody. I'm going to share with you now, again, a favourite of mine was verses, some verses from uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 26, but I'll just share two of the verses. Verse 18 says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. How true that is of the day and age in which we live. Do you know, if you met People, as you leave here today and told them that you believe the things that we are talking about this morning, they would think you were foolish, that you were odd, that you were lost back in the 19th century. Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then verse 27, it says this, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. As, a, as people would see Jesus as a, as a figure of history, they struggle to explain the cross. They can't explain it. Other than the tyranny of Rome and the um, fear of the Jewish leaders. But it's not that. Those were the instruments, the backstory, if you like. But the fact is that he went to the cross. He did it willingly and he did it for you and for me. In a moment, we're going to share this Uh, communion, we're going to remember not simply that Jesus died, but we are going to remember 
the manner of his death. That's what the emblems are there for. And remember, it was the Lord himself who said, this is the way we should do it. He said, remember, my body was broken for you. He said, remember, I was wounded for you. My blood was poured out for you. These are the things we use, because he said we should use them, as an aid to memory, to remind ourselves of the price that was paid for our salvation. I know this Laurie has left the ladder up there. I loved that last week. I thought it was marvellous to demonstrate um, those verses in Philippians in that way. It was great. It stuck, certainly stuck with me. Let me remind you of verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Couldn't have chosen a worse death than to be cursed, to be suspended between heaven and on earth. That was the way he did it. That's how he saves you and me, by the giving of himself, of his life, in a way that perhaps we find difficult to grasp and sometimes to talk about. The old-fashioned preachers seem to be able to do it with more relish, dare I say. But it's not something we can hide away in a corner. We can't, it's not something we can say, well, this is an aspect of Christianity that it's, I know it's there, it's there in that little box there, but I don't want to dwell on it. No apologies this morning for absolutely dwelling on it. But there's a question here, isn't it? As we've seen in our reading and indeed throughout the Gospels, we see this, that Jesus divides people. He says he was going to do that. He divides them into those who believe and those who do not. And dear friend, this morning, you, as you are here, you know uh, what side of the divide, as it were, you are. So, on to our third point, his mission, his method, and his motives. In verse 29, we see Jesus' motive was to please the Father. The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Isn't that tremendous? Remember his prayer in the garden uh, before they came to arrest him. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. There's a plan. God has a plan. And that plan involved sending Jesus and Jesus uh, dying. And Jesus' part in that was to 
fulfill all of God's plan. I always do what pleases him. Paul tells us in Galatians that it was for love of you and me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Hebrews tells us that it's for future glory. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. There's a sermon in itself there. But this is the point. Jesus gave up the glory of heaven for you and for me. He came to this world. He gave his life. But thankfully he, was rose, he rose again. This glory is not only restored, but this is the thing. In heaven now, oh, the world will find that. What's this heaven business? What even is this hell? What's that about? But look, this is what we believe. Even in heaven now, there stands, yes, God's son, but as a man, as a man in heaven. And that's why you and I, if we give our lives to him, if we accept the sacrifice made, if we turn to him in true faith and repentance, we have a hope. A few weeks ago, we thought about that, didn't we? The eternal hope we have. But that's why. Because there's a man in heaven. God's son. I've written here in my notes, conclusion, and I've said we've talked briefly well, I, I haven't been watching the clock. But we have talked briefly of the wonderful person of Jesus. And each of us has to answer as to how we respond. If we're among those who believe and have turned to him in repentance, trusting in his sacrifice on the cross. And, and what does that do? Does it prompt us to worship, to offer up our hearts as we sang this morning. Could you sing those songs? Great songs, by the way, Paul. Thank you. But could you sing them and, and mean them? As we're prompted to worship, to offer our hearts and voices. And what's more, to go from here, to live out our lives from this moment on as a response. Yes? To live that sacrificial life. To live that life for him. Well there it is. Uh, I, I trust it's been helpful. It, I confess it's been quite personal this morning. But it's good to share, isn't it? And uh, we're going to share now. We're going to share in um, communion. Paul's going to come and lead us in a time of uh, communion this morning. I don't want to add anything else but to say we're going to do what the Lord commanded we should do. 
And uh, we're going to be uh, set the scene, as it were, by singing uh, a communion hymn.